0: Hello and welcome to the Dr. Bill Telephone Series. This is Liz Southern, Child Development Consultant with the Braille Institute. Tonight's topic is how to speak openly about low vision and blindness in front of your children. The Dr. Bill Telephone Series is an educational program focusing on pediatric eye conditions for parents, teachers, and other professionals working with young children with visual impairments. The topics presented should not be considered a medical or educational consultation, but information to help us better understand pediatric eye conditions, And now I will hand it over to Dr. Bill.
1: Uh, thank you very much, Liz. Very, very nice. And I want to thank all of you for being on the program this evening. It's always very, very nice to be able to have these types of discussions because these topics are things that parents and teachers and therapists and others who work with children with low vision have experienced. So we can all share some of the ideas and other types of recommendations that we have given to some of the families. And tonight, we're going to talk about the importance of discussing with a child their vision impairment. And this is a very, very important thing. Now, the reason that I really became very interested in this is because when I first began practicing, I remember it was very interesting because parents would often want to speak to me by themselves. The mom and the dad would come into the exam room and they would have somebody else holding the baby or they'll have somebody else in there sitting in the waiting room with their child because they really didn't want to speak in front of their child about this vision problem. And we would then do the examination, and at the end, they would excuse their child, or they would have that caregiver take that infant out of the exam room, and then they would ask me then to describe what it was that we found. And we did that quite regularly without really thinking very much of it. I could understand parents want to be protective of their child, but in some ways it's, it's kind of ridiculous because some of these infants who are three, four, five months old, they, they don't understand language to that level, and they, they probably wouldn't have that ability to remember what was said uh, so many years ago. But it was a few months ago that there was a boy that I had been seeing for many, many years, and he is now 12 years old. And after the examination, he called me and he said, uh, Hey, Dr. Bill, uh, can you look at my eye again? I feel something. I don't know if I have something in my eye. So the parents just walked out into the waiting room, and when I closed the door... Uh, the young the young boy, he says, Hey, Dr. Bill, I want to ask you something. I said, Yeah, sure, go right ahead. He said, Well, you know, there's something just really strange that it's really bothering me, and I really want to know the truth. But I noticed my mom and dad never, they never say anything to me about my eyes or my vision or they never talk about anybody else's eyes or anybody else's vision and they're so quiet about it that it makes me feel very very uncomfortable so I want you to be straight with me Dr. Bill is my eye disease a disease that's going to kill me In other words, is this going to lead to cancer throughout my body and am I going to die from this? I want to know because if I don't have a lot longer to live, I want to do the things that I want to do. But every time I try to talk to my parents about it or if I ask them about it, they they don't even go close to talking about it. They said, "Well, that's something you 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 got to just talk to Dr. Bill, because he's your doctor. We're not doctors; we don't know." And so I told him, "No, no, absolutely not. Your body is in good health, and this eye problem that you have, it's not going to cause you to die sooner. It's not going to cause your legs or your arms to go weak." It's not going to cause your brain to become dysfunctional so that you can't talk or think. Everything with your body and your mind are strong. But you do have this particular type of eye disease, and it is a disease. This is a disease that you were actually born with, and it's called Stargardt's disease and we then showed him a diagram of the eye and we said you see this this tiny little spot right here this tiny little spot in your retina is called the macula and this is the area that has cells that allow you to see very small details and when you were born you were not born with a normal number of cells right here, and this is something that's called Stargardt's disease. And he said, "Well, what's the big deal? What what's so bad about this? Why why do my parents, you know, never talk about it? And you know, it's strange. I'm I'm in junior high school now, and they're even starting to talk to me about." Sex and sexual transmitted diseases. And if I ask them anything about my eyes, they don't say anything. They, they just get real quiet and they look at each other. And I said, no, your, your disease is called Stargardt's. And with your condition, you're doing great. I said, do you go to school? He said, yes. I said, do you play any sports? He said, yes. I'm on the basketball team, and going to be playing track. I said, do you read and write? He said, yes. Can you read print with your eyes, or do you read and write in Braille? He said, no, I don't need Braille. I could read with my eyes. And I said, are you bothered by the sunlight? He said, yeah, but it's all right. I just wore my sunglasses if it's too bright. Sometimes wear a hat, but it doesn't bother me. I said, is there anything that you feel you cannot do because of your vision? He says, "Uh, no, not really. I just go out there and do whatever I'm going to do. But sometimes, because I don't see things as well, sometimes I just have to do it a little differently. I said, like, what are you talking about? It said, well, sometimes if I'm trying to build models, or like when I built my own computer, it was harder for me to see some of those small things. So I just got closer to it, and I used that magnifier that you gave me. I said, man, that is just perfect. That is perfect. I said, you see, your eye condition, it's not stopping you from doing anything in your life. He goes, no, it's not. I said, you're not ever going to go blind from this disease. He goes, well, that's good to know. I said, you're not going to die from this disease. And he says, well, what about a driver's license? Will I be able to drive? I said, if your vision just stays the way that it is right now, in three years you're going to be going and getting that driver's license. And he smiled and he gave it a whoop-whoop, you know. He was so happy. And so he says, well, you know what? This is just wonderful. This is wonderful. Thank you so much for telling me. And he says, I want to bring my parents back in here. And if you could just sit here while I talk to them. So he brings his mom and dad and he said, you know, Mom and Dad, I just asked Dr. Bill straight up, what's going on with my eyes? And he told me everything. He told me everything. And all these fears that I had. I thought that maybe I was going to get cancer and die. I thought maybe I was going to go totally blind. I thought maybe my brain would stop working. All these things I kept worrying about. And I asked you guys all the time. And you never answered me, but now I know the truth. Dr. Bill, he gave me the truth. I want to know how come you guys couldn't talk to me about it. And the mother then was crying and she said, well, you know, we love you so much. We didn't want you to have to worry about anything. We don't want you to worry. We're your parents. We're going to take care of all of these things so you don't have to worry about it. And then the father said, That's right, son. Your mother and I, we talked about this, and we we don't want you to have to worry about anything. So we don't want you to even talk about your eyes because we don't want people to be asking you questions about it all the time. He says, Dad, people ask me about my eyes all the time. They ask me all the time. But now I know what to say to them. And the father just patted him on the back and they all hugged. And I said, you know, this is fantastic. This is just so great how you as a family, you're able to talk things over. And... We should continue to talk. I said, let's go on out to eat. Let's meet for dinner. And let's talk a little more because some of the things that we could be talking about together is how can we help you with what you want to do? I know you're thinking about driving, so how are we going to raise money? for you to buy a car. You're going to have to buy your own car. And he said, I didn't think about that. What kind of jobs could I get? I said, well, that's what we're going to do then. We're going to talk about what kind of jobs that are available for you to get so that you could start making some money. And so I asked him, I said, What are some of the types of things that you like to do? He says, well, I love computers. I love working on computers. I'm really good with computers. I know how to build computers. I know how to repair computers. I said, that is fantastic. Hey, that's a really good way that you could make extra money, too. So we put together a little business for him. And when people were having problems with their computers, he would go to their houses and fix them. Many times it was where the RAM memory on these computers were bad. So he would just pull out the bad memory and install new memory, and these people's computers were working great. For other people, they didn't know how to use certain programs so he would teach them how to use these programs. And he would charge them a good amount of money, not as much as the professionals charge, but it sure was a lot more money than he would make from working at McDonald's or something. And before long, he was building computers for people. So this is the type of thing that could be Very, very helpful. And we could then talk to the parents and have the parents talk to the child so that whatever it is that the child is trying to do, they together could find a solution. You know, when we had that dinner, we found out that he loved the computers. I said, well, what about this? you could go to these people's homes and fix their computers. Oh, that would be easy, Dr. Bill. I really can. I fix all kinds of computers at school and everything. But he goes, how would I get there? I mean, if these people don't live in my neighborhood, how would I get there? And I had some ideas, but I just left it for Dad and Mom to contribute their ideas. And dad says, hey, son, we could fix these computers on Saturdays, and I'd be happy to take you. That'll be perfect. We could do it on Saturdays. And then the mom said, well, if there's certain times that people have an emergency and we have to do it at night, I could take you at night. You know, your dad works at night, but I could take you at night. And he said, oh, my God, that would be perfect. Thank you. And I then had asked him, I said, well, do you have the tools? Do you have all the tools that you need to do this kind of work? He said, yes, I've collected a lot of tools over, you know, the past few years. And I said, well, is there any other tools that you could use? I said, you know what, I would love to buy you whatever tool you need to get this business going. He says, well, Dr. Bill, I really need a toolbox. Right now I got my tools all over the place, but if I'm going to go to these people's houses, I need a way to carry all my tools easily and take it into their home. I said, well, this is great. This is great. I'd love to buy you a toolbox. So if your dad or your mom, one of these days could take you over to Sears or if you want to go to Home Depot, go look at the different toolboxes that they have and see which one's going to work the best for you. And I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to give you some money right now and this should be more than enough for you to buy it. And he was so grateful. So basically the point to this story here is to illustrate that many times as parents we may not tell our children about their vision problem. We think that we're helping our child by not telling them. Or we think we're protecting them But in reality, we're actually hurting our children. And your children, with vision problems, they're smart. They know what's going on. They are asked by other kids, Hey, what's wrong with your eyes? How come you always sit in the front row? hey, how come when you're reading you bring everything so close? How come your eyes shake sometimes? I look at your eyes sometimes and your eyes are shaking. Why does it do that? Well, we could answer those questions and that way your child will know how to answer these. And we could teach your child, how to answer these in the best way. Because what often happens is a lot of kids with low vision, they make up things. And so when a kid tells them, hey, why, why are you holding the paper so close to your eyes that way? That kid might say, well, it helps me to read better. I concentrate better when I hold it close. Oh, okay, I I get it. Why, Why do your eyes shake like that? Well, you know, I could make my eyes shake like that. It's sort of like a trick that I have. Can you do it? And the other kid says, no, I can't do it. Try it. And the other child tries to do it, but he cannot do it. So in this way, the child who has the shaking eyes kind of becomes a special kid, like, whoa, how are you able to do that? That is really, really cool. So we are able to say things and teach them how to answer so that the other kids understand that this is something that's actually pretty interesting. It's very cool and it's very neat. And we definitely want them to understand that they're not sick. They're not going to die. They're not going to have all these other types of problems. They just have a vision problem. When we talk to our kids about their vision problems, it's often very nice to just say, well... Everybody in this world's a little different. You see some kids that are taller, and some kids that are smaller, and some kids that are in between. Right? Oh yeah, that's right. And you see some kids who are really skinny, and some kids who are really fat, and others that are sort of in the middle. Yeah, that's true, Dad. And we see that there's some kids who have what are called allergies. And these are kids that they're often sneezing when they go outside or if they're near the chalkboard they start sneezing and they're always carrying Kleenex and they have to blow their nose all the time. A lot of these kids have to take medicine. Others have to use medicine that they squirt up into their nose during the day. So when kids have asthma, these allergies and things can make it very difficult for them to breathe. And then there's other kids who have problems with their hearing. Their ears might look perfectly fine, but they just can't hear. Some of these kids, they could hear boys really well. But if it's a high-pitched girl's voice, they can't hear it. Or in other cases, it's just the opposite. They could hear a girl's voice, but they can't hear a boy's voice, or one that is lower tone like that. Oh, I didn't know that. So overall, if we were to ask everybody in your class, we would be able to find out that everybody has something that's kind of interesting and unique and it just happens to be yours it's with your eyes your eyes are a little different there are some kids the way their eyes work is that a lot of boys they just do not see all the colors perfectly so for some of these boys they might look at something and maybe it's the color pink And they call it red. You say, wait a minute, why are you calling that red? It's not red, it's pink. Well, to that kid, it does look like it's red. Because their color vision cells of their eyes are a little bit different. There's other kids where they have eye problems like that one we talked about, Stargardt's. Or they don't have all the cells in the middle of the eye, in the macula. They can't read small print easily. But if they get closer to it, then they can read it. Or they can't read what's on the dry erase board easily. But if they sit in the front row, they can. But what's really interesting is that the kids who have... Stargardt's disease, their side vision is usually really very, very strong. So even though they may not be able to read the smallest print, their side vision is just awesome. And for these kids, if you go outside with them at night, you'll notice they have amazing night vision They could go running up in the hills at night. You're going camping. They see very well at night. Also, with their really great peripheral vision, they're often really great at sports. Because they could see everything on the left side and the right side and above them and below them very, very quickly. So, You might remember Magic Johnson, the Laker basketball player, who, he was so amazing. He just looked straight ahead, and he could see where all his players were. And when he'd make a pass, he never looked at his teammate that he was passing the ball to. As a matter of fact, he would look the opposite way and then throw it. And he would trick everybody out there on the court. They would have no idea he's going to throw it to that person because he's looking the opposite way. And he was the best passer in all of basketball. So even though a person might have difficulties with reading small print, they might have other strengths. like having better peripheral vision, better night vision. So for your child, when we begin to talk to your child about his or her vision problem, we also want to emphasize what is really very, very special about his or her vision. And One of the things that we also have done, we have gone to the classrooms of a lot of our patients who had a low vision. And I would go in there and I would just tell them that I'm an eye doctor and they'll say, What? How can you be an eye doctor? You're blind, aren't you? And I said, Well, yes, I used to be an eye doctor. But I then became blind, and now I am a teacher. So I could still work as an eye doctor because, in my brain, I know what we need to do to help people. And then we talk about that student who has a vision problem. And we would put on simulator glasses on them so that the other kids could put on these glasses and they could understand how that other child sees. And we would show them how this student, even though he has this problem, how he's got better other forms of vision. Amazed that this kid could actually see some of these things with their other peripheral visual skills. So instead of the student feeling as though Oh, he's not as good because he can't see as small a print. He actually feels better because he has better depth perception. He has better eye movement skills. He has better visual memory than these other kids. And so he sort of becomes a star. So that's another type of thing that I recommend that we would do to help your children in the classroom so that the other kids understand what is going on. So what I'd like to do at this time, we also have on the line today is uh, Tori Sladen. Many of you know Tori Sladen. She is the founder of Partners for Pediatric Vision. And uh, Tori, I'm very, very happy that you're able to be on the call this evening and I want to know, do you have any other great stories or suggestions of how parents can begin talking to their kids about their vision?
2: Um, hi, Dr. Bill and everyone on the call. Um, gosh, I, that was a beautiful story. And I think that um, any parents that have the opportunity to meet you and have their child meet you, um, it, it's just incredibly inspiring and, and beneficial. Um, not all Thanks. of the children we work with have that opportunity, mm-hmm. um, but I think you brought up some some really wonderful points. And I think um, in our experience working with children and families, sometimes when the child themselves Starts to starts a conversation, starts to ask questions. That seems like a time when um, it might be right for for parents to start um, having those discussions with the child. Sort of like the right time is, you know, when the child is ready. Um, you know, that said, every family is different, and sometimes. You know, it takes longer for parents to feel comfortable. Sometimes they're still learning about the diagnosis. Um, But I do think that oftentimes parents teach us so much. And um, in my experience, when the child is curious and asking questions, that often is a starting point for families where they, they feel like they can start to have those conversations. And that doesn't mean that they have to go in-depth necessarily. Sometimes there's conversations, um, sometimes there's information that they can share at that time in their child's development, and there might be conversations that might take place later. You referenced, you know, the the questions that come up about getting a driver's license or maybe getting a job. So for a young child, if a family is having a discussion about their Um, type of vision loss. Maybe that's a conversation that they would have um, a little bit later. I also think parents sometimes express um, anxiety with the questions that they get um, in public. You know, they're not quite sure how to answer somebody's questions when when somebody in the grocery store or a
1: stranger says you know what's wrong with your child's eyes you know it, it's <laughs> so amazing. i just have to tell you it's so amazing some of the questions some of the things that people say i could be standing in the front of the grocery store waiting for my wife who's in the checkout and i have my white cane and people come up to me all the time They grab my cane, they tap it on the floor, and they said, are you really blind or are you just carrying this? You know, (laughs) I'm thinking, God, I can't believe you would ask that question.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think think sometimes parents, and something that those of us working with families can help them, think of some just easy, quick responses. Um, You know, a simple explanation or maybe naming the condition. um, I think that that's okay for the child to hear that. Um, Yes, this is the name of the eye condition that they have and maybe a brief, you know, it's hard for them to see straight ahead of them or they have problems seeing in the dark, whatever it might be. It doesn't have to be long. Um, And I think that that can sort of be a starting point, too, for, for, or maybe the starting point is to talk to siblings in the family and other grandparents and others. So sometimes that's kind of a starting off point, um, that families become more comfortable talking about a child's particular diagnosis when they're talking about it with their own family members, and then as they get more comfortable talking maybe more in public um, about it, I think you spoke to it so eloquently. That there's so there's so many accommodations that that can help children. Um, we have to really focus on their self-esteem and their independence. And down the road, we want them to be advocates for themselves. We want them to be able to explain their eye condition and ask for the help that they need. Um, but at the same time, really sort of overcome their their challenges. So. I think you know when families are really ready to start talking about it whenever that is for them, I think it's really, really beneficial for the child as difficult as it as it is, as you explained
1: with with
2: this young man's family.
1: <clears throat> well, you know some of the things that the families here in Southern California are very fortunate in the fact that uh, they do get to work with your group partners for pediatric vision, and you have. Uh, staff members who are trained in therapy, right? Yes, our
2: staff are um, family specialists, or we call them, uh, all of us are vision educators, so we're not credentialed teachers of the visually impaired, but we are special educators and early interventionists, and um, we do provide a lot of psychosocial support as well. So, um, and lucky for us, we get to work alongside eye doctors, including you, of course, Dr. Bill. So, yes, we've learned a lot from being part of um, the eye exam and then being the extension so that after the eye exam, when so much information has been shared, which is all oftentimes too much to take in at once for families, um, then we can help sort of you know, piece that information together after and answer those questions that come up um, after, after the eye exam. I do um, want to share a resource that I found um, earlier today in anticipation of this call that I think is really excellent. Um, it comes from the Royal National Institute of Blind People, that is in the U.K. They're based in London, and they have a booklet online. You can find it at their um, website, which is R as in Royal, N as in National, I as in Institute, and B as in Blind, .org.uk. And it's called Talking to Children About Sight Loss. I think it's called Tough oh. Talk. Very, very well written, um, and I, I highly recommend it as a resource and a, a guide with very good practical suggestions um, for for working with families and having these tough tough conversations.
1: Wow, that's very, very good. So again, R N I B as in Blind mm-hmm. dot org U K. Uk
2: mm-hmm. for United Kingdom, so yeah, rnib.org.uk. dot o r g dot u k, and the booklet is called "Talks: Talking to Children About Sight Loss."
1: Great, thank you very much. You're welcome. It, and now, Liz, are are you still on the line, Liz? Yes, I am. Hi. Uh, can you share? Some of the experiences that you might have seen over the years, uh, Liz is one of the staff for the Brailles Child Development Program and uh, Liz actually goes to the homes of the kids and she provides the different types of therapy for them and have you seen any, any different or difficult situations where it either seemed it was uncomfortable for uh, parents to talk to their children, or are most of the kids you see so young that it, it really doesn't come about?
0: Yeah, most of the kiddos we see are under six years old, so they're pretty little. Um, but the, the parents, we talk openly in front of the kids, and I would say I would stress like the most important is to build up the the children's self-esteem and to let them know that they may need to ask for help in the future and just empowering them to feel comfortable, explaining their eye condition, explaining that they need help and speaking up for themselves because that's really one of the most important things that they're going to need in the future.
1: Right, and they got to learn that it's, you know, it's okay to learn to ask for help. I mean, it's right. like I tell the kids, it's just like, can you imagine, what if you were in a different country and you have never been there before? You were on vacation and you're trying to find your hotel, but you have no idea where you're at. You just mm-hmm. got to ask somebody. <laughs> yeah,
0: sometimes you just have to... You know, follow your pride and just, you know. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of, something I'm running into right now actually is um, kids not wanting to use their cane, being self conscious about it. Oh, really? Uh Not not wanting to to use their cane. So if you have any tips on that, (laughs) on how to encourage them, you know. To, to use that cane, you know, I talk to them about is it a safety issue, and then it lets other people know that you have a visual impairment. So, if you have any tips, yeah.
1: Yeah. do they just say nobody else is using it? I'm embarrassed. Do they ever say those sort of things, or they just go without them?
0: They just go without them pretty <laughs> much. Um, one of my kiddos is in um, first grade, and he's just doesn't. Want to talk about the cane? Doesn't want to use the cane. So I make him walk. I make him uh, walk me to my car um, every visit with his cane (laughs) because he's he's obsessed with cars. So I'm like, well, you can come with me. You can come to the car, and he wants to feel the car and go in the car. He knows all about cars. So, but uh, the incentive, you know. So I try to get him. I'm like, only if you use your cane.
1: that's great. Well, you know, one of the first things that I do when that begins to happen is that I, I will then get another cane or sometimes two more canes. And then I'll try to set up a play date for this child and, you know, some of his friends. And I'll teach the friends how to use a cane so all of them could use the canes together. And oh, they great. all think that it's sort of fun that way. You know, because yeah, they're great idea. all using something that's sort of cool that way, and uh, we then said, "Okay, watch this. Watch this. We're going to go to the mall, and the mall's going to be crowded, and we start walking down the middle of the mall, and you watch what happens. All these people are just going to get out of your way, mm-hmm. and they love to see the the parting of the mall." <laughs> they come down. Mm-hmm. They feel yeah, like, wow, cool. we got powered.
0: <laughs> and adding on to that, I would say it's important to get your children around other children with visual impairment. And, you know, mm. expose them, you know, have the play date with, you know, both sighted and, you know, children with visual impairment so that they're, they realize they're not the only one. Yeah, you know, we have a youth program also for older kids, and it's just really important for them to be around their peers and they just feel more at home this weekend we had braille challenge the regionals in fullerton and it was just so awesome to see the kids together and they just they're just a kid oh, you know really? they're, they just have they don't have to worry about it they all have pain they all have visual impairments you know they all read braille so it's just cool oh. to get them around each other
1: oh that is great that is great you know, Liz, I think it's a really good idea. I think it's really good for uh, kids with low vision, just like adults with low vision, to meet and to be with other people with low vision. You know, because then they don't feel that it's only them, and they learn so much. Uh, you know, for me, when I first really started to experience severe low vision, It was to the point where I didn't like to walk anywhere. Even with my cane, I didn't like to walk with it because I just didn't feel comfortable. I didn't like to go to restaurants because I didn't want to have to use my hands to kind of feel where my water is or I didn't know what was on my plate, you know, where. And, and so I didn't want to go anywhere. And I became just so isolated. And I didn't get any better at learning to do things because I was just at home and I didn't have to do anything. But it was when I met another person with low vision who then showed me how he does everything. And this this gentleman, Keith, Keith Christian, many of you may know him, he taught me how he performs all of these daily activities and his vision was so much worse than mine and i said gosh if he could do it i could do it and we started doing things together and i think that that's what you're finding with your your kids when they play with other kids but i guess that the question i have for some of the parents if I'm a parent and I have a child with low vision, how do I set up these uh, uh, play dates or meetings with other children with low vision if I don't know any of these kids?
0: We have parent groups. And we have, like for the different holidays, we had a, a holiday party around Christmas time and we had a Halloween party. And so we try to you know, get the parents together and meet each other and they, you know, forge friendships and exchange information and they get to talking and it's always nice to connect the, the parents. because sometimes they're the only, you know, they're the only child in their school, you know, with a visual impairment. They don't any right.
1: Other right, exactly. So I, it's
0: really I, I, important to have that support system.
1: You know, when I was growing up, um, Elementary school, middle school, high school. I never, never encountered anybody who was either blind or low vision or used a cane. Never. So the Braille Institute is, is a good way. And also Partners for Pediatric Vision talking to them and saying, you know, I, I would really like to maybe set up something and maybe if I could meet another family and we we could have, you know, a little, a play date together or something. Now, um, Patty, are you still there? Yes, Dr. Bill, I'm right here. <clears throat> Hi. Uh, Patty Hi. also works with the Braille Institute. Hey, wait, who was that? Did I hear Edmund? No, it's me. I a little sore throat. <laughs> Oh, Daddy. that was you. Okay, okay. Yes. Well, I won't. I won't make you talk too much. But <laughs> do you have anything that you'd like to add? Uh, other other suggestions? You know, parent groups are great to go to um, the gatherings, uh, but also sometimes just talking to. You know, maybe some of these families aren't connected with Braille Institute or aren't connected to these other um, organizations. Sometimes even talking to the. Um, the child's TBI, you know, and asking them, you know, are there other families in the area? Because usually the the teacher for the visually impaired may be able to talk to other families within the same school district. So, um, you know, or around the same school age. And sometimes they can get them connected also. And it's a great way because, you know, the children have one common denominator, which is their teacher. You know, they have the same teacher for the visually impaired. That's a great idea. That's a great idea. You know, maybe we could, we could, uh, ask the teacher for the visually impaired to get the kids together and, you know, we'll, we'll pay for the teacher's, uh, breakfast or lunch when they all go out mm-hmm. together or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, does anybody else have any questions or any comments that you'd like to make about discussing and talking to your child about their vision problem. Does anybody have questions for uh, Tori or Liz or Patty or myself?
0: Can I add one thing, Dr. Bill?
1: Yes. Hi. Who is this?
0: This is is Liz again. Um, I would just say it's really important, and this is part of our job, to educate the parents on the eye condition because the more that they understand it and that they know about it, they can explain it to their children, which is really important for the children to be able to explain their own eye condition. I know you touched on it earlier, but I really think it's worth repeating that it's so important that the whole family understands it, especially the child.
1: I I really agree so much, and that's why... You know, any time that we see a child, uh, we write a, a report that's written in easy-to-understand language that really explains, okay, what, what are the problems? What are the child's strengths? What can we do about it? And what are some of the types of things we may need to work on in the future so the parents could come up with some really great solutions and things as well. Thank you, Liz. Does anybody else have anything else that they'd like to add or share?
2: I just want to make a comment that this is such a great example about of how there are there's an amazing network of professionals, um, Braille Institute, um, Dr. Bill, Partnership Pediatric Vision, Wayfinders Services, the Birth to Five Vision Network. There's just lots and lots of folks out there that are working together on behalf of children with visual impairment and their families. And it's really, I think it's unique, to be honest, in in a big um, place like Southern California that we have private and public agencies who really work together to collaborate on care. And I know that if a family has the services from Braille Institute, it just gives me such peace of mind um, that I can call, you know, the specialists, work alongside them. They can call me for questions. So I think we just need to continue to make sure families are sort of part of this system of care, um, you know, and when we hear about something, we hear about the Braille Challenge, for example, um, or an opportunity for children to go to the Birth to Five Vision Network and meet other families and other children. I think that's right. really important. And the more opportunities we have to collaborate on behalf of children and families, it's, um, you know, it just educates the families and it just enriches their lives and the lives of the children. So really, yes. I'm really proud to be part of such an amazing community of
1: professionals. Uh, I agree with you. Thank you, guys. Thank you to all of you for your time and your commitment for helping the kids. And we'd also like to thank you, uh, Joe Yerka, from AIRS LA for recording this. This particular uh, telephone lecture, this is going to be recorded and it will be available on the Braille Institute website as well as AIRS LA, www.airsla.org. So uh, we look forward to talking to all of you next month when we bring you more information regarding low vision. Good night, everybody.